go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we're going to be at several different places in that chapter today, but I'm only going to read um, the first couple verses, verses 12 through 13. And then I'll also read from Acts chapter 6. I'm not going to make you turn there. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, we'll be there, there in a short portion near the end of our sermon. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm just going to read verses 12 through 13 right here, and then I'll jump over to Acts 6. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And we're all, all were made to drink of one spirit. And then let me read just the first few verses of Acts chapter 6. Now in, those, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching, that the, uh, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. Uh, So we are in week three of a very short four-week series about the church. We uh, are calling this series Ecclesia, that God is assembling a called-out group of people that are set apart for his name, and for his glory in this world. Uh, We saw in week one that he is the head of the church, that he is the cornerstone of the church. And last week, we saw that Jesus is what? The shepherd of the church, that he calls our name as his sheep, and we as his sheep hear his voice, that we find joy and protection under the shepherd. And this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be the body of, of Christ, and more specifically, what it means to serve God, and what it means to serve one another as the body. So let me read to you again 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Um, this is a rather wordy verse, and so we kind of have to break it down and pay attention a little bit. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So if you look at verse 12, you see that that word body is mentioned three different times. And you see members mentioned twice. So how many of you are part of a home group in here? What's the first step in home group? You observe, right? O-I-A, observe, interpret, and apply. So if we were to observe what the theme here is, what God is trying to tell us, we can tell already that the word body and member Is important. In fact, if you track these words all the way down to verse 31, body, member, and then you could probably throw in part um, in there as well. If you counted all those words in this section, you would see the words body, member, and part mentioned 36 different times in just this short little section. Paul really wants us to understand that the church is the body of Christ. And as followers of Christ, that we are all members of his body, that each of us has a part to play in the body of 
Christ. Now, I want you to notice something that can easily get lost in all the wordiness. Paul is making a comparison between two things here. I mean, looking at verse 12, he says, he starts off verse 12 by saying, just as, and he ends it with saying, so it is with. He's making a comparison here. It's like saying, just as I love Katie as my wife, she loves me as her husband. It's a comparison of agreement. These two things are connected, and you cannot separate them. So what's the comparison he's making in verse 12? He says, just as the body is one, just as the body is one and has many members, and he says, so it is with Christ. Those two things are in agreement. You cannot separate them. The many members of the body and Christ. And it's so important that we understand this. Like, if we don't understand what Paul is saying here, we'll miss a very important aspect about how God has designed the church, that the crucified and risen Christ so identifies with his followers that he calls them, calls us, members of his body. I mean, think of it this way. Um, Do you identify with your arm? Right? Did did I do that? Is that my, my arm or my body? It's both, right? They're one in the same. If I, if I get a bruise on my arm, I feel it, right? If my arm just stops working, I need to go to a doctor because my arm is a part of my body and I'm aware of my body. I'm aware of something's off, right? I'm aware um, if, if I move it, right? I know that I'm the one that is doing that. The Bible is telling us that the church is so intimately connected to Christ that we are the body of Christ. Think about that analogy, that metaphor, that we are his arms, we are his, his legs, his, his eyes, that we're intimately connected with him and with each, with each other. And verse 13 takes this idea even deeper. He's going to repeat a word here again. He says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And so you, you observe it again, you see that that word one is important here, that it is one spirit that has united us has united one body, and that that body drinks of that one spirit. And when you see language where it talks about being baptized into, when you see language like that, um, it's a reference to the cleansing and empowering work that the Holy Spirit does. That when God saves you, when he pursues you and chases you down and saves you, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you are transformed, that your sins were forgiven. You're adopted by God as a child of God. But baptism is mentioned because it is the outward expression of what God has done inside of you. It's transformation proclaimed. And so Paul says, Jew or Greek, slave or free, we all have that same baptism, right? Any person, regardless of background or ethnicities, are united by Christ, and we all drink of the same one spirit, that we all find reconciliation with God and faith in God through the same spirit. So the Bible is saying that the body of Christ is one through the power of the Holy Spirit, that though you are many different people here, many different expressions, backgrounds, ethnicities, economic backgrounds, that though you are different, you are one, that we've all been saved by the grace of God. That is what unites us, right? That we all are in Christ and we all have Christ 
in us. Let me show you a visual, okay? I don't do this very often. I don't do visual illustrations, but let's have some fun. I absolutely don't know if it's going to work, but I have asked uh, Nate Baker to come up here with me. Give him a round of applause. And he's going to grab those little boxes over there. Um, And so I want to show you some of this uh, through illustrations. Thank you, sir. Let me take this first. Hold on to that. Okay, so we're going to say that this is you, okay? This is your life as a follower of Christ. So I've got a little Sharpie here. I actually didn't check to see if this works. So we're going to draw a little stick figure. Nate, this is you. This resemblance is just uncanny, okay? Um, So we're going to say that this is uh, you. Now, this is your life without Christ. This is just you in the world. And when Christ saves you, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. Are you cheating? You're cheating, okay. Um, So it is Christ who lives in me. So according to what Galatians just said, When you are saved, you can't see this, it's going to be tiny, but I'm going to write Christ right here. Can you open that for me? So, Galatians 2.20, Christ now lives inside of you. You are in Christ. So, let me give this. So, as I move throughout the world, I am moving throughout the world. But in reality, it's who? It's Christ that is in me that is moving me throughout the world. He is leading me, right? If you, um, if you have struggles, if you have sin, you have Christ in you that fights on your behalf. The Spirit leads you and the Spirit guides you. So I move throughout this world as a soldier. This isn't my home. I belong to a whole other world, the heavenly world, right? I'm a soldier in this world, but it is Christ who leads me. And for most people, this is where we stop, right? Christ is in me. I am, I am being led by Christ in this world. It's me, Christ, against the world, right? Me and Christ against the world. And that's typically where we stop, and that's beautiful. That's part of your identity. Christ is in you. But there's another piece of this that we see in Scripture. It's not just that Christ is in you, but it's also that you are what? In Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. He is a new creation. So if you're going to give me this one, and I'll trade you that. This is why I needed help, because it would have been a disaster trying to move all this up here. Um, We're also going to write Christ on this one. So, if I am in Christ, what does that mean? Thank you, sir. Just stand there and look pretty for one second. Um, So, you are not only, uh, not only is Christ in you, but you are also in Christ. If you read Ephesians 1, you See this language, right? In him you were chosen. In him you were adopted. In him you have redemption. In him, in him, in him. And by the way, a little side note about this illustration right here. One, I I didn't come up with this. I'm not that smart. I stole it from somebody else. Uh, Saw someone do it a long time ago. But for many of you in this room, just understanding this simple concept is going to help you so much. That as you fight the anxieties that rule your mind, as you think about the pain and the stress and the hurt that you have suffered, the, the loss in your life, the shame from the sin that you have done, pain from broken 
relationships that many of you, right now, you're confused about the future. And you have a lot of fear about what my life may look like a year from now, two years from now. And every day you feel the suffering that you have suffered. And I wouldn't dare try to explain to you why you have suffered. I wouldn't do that. Because I can't heal you of it. I can't explain it. Only God knows and only God can be the healer that you need. And I don't know how the enemy is attacking you right now. What kind of thoughts he's putting into your mind. What kind of circumstances you have in your life. I don't know how he's attacking you. We saw last week that he comes to still kill and destroy. But here's the truth that we see in the Bible. If the enemy wants to come after you, he has to go through who? Christ. You are in Christ, the one who died and rose from the grave. There is no power or authority greater than him. And he is the one who gave a a decisive defeat to the enemy on the cross. He was crushed and destroyed, right? And of us, Ephesians says that we were all dead, that we were sons of disobedience, but Jesus rose from that grave, and he defeated sin. And he decisively conquered the enemy. So I don't know what attacks you face, but you have nothing to fear. Because not only if he were to somehow get through Christ to get to you, he still has to deal with what? That you have Christ in you. Right? So have no fear, right? You are protected because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. In his name you have forgiveness. And it is the Holy Spirit that reminds you of that forgiveness. Right? He's reminding you of the truths that you are found, that are found in Christ. Now, that wasn't even the point of the illustration. Hold that again, brother. Thank you. You looked pretty. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 19 and 20, we see that your individual body belongs to Christ. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought... With the price, so glorify God in your body, that you, you're not your own. Christ has bought you, so therefore you strive for holiness, God, with, uh, within our bodies. However, it's not just that we are individually belong to Christ. So if you take out that, you got to open it for me, otherwise I'm going to mess it up. So Christ has bought you, right? You are his, okay? And a lot of times we think of this solely on an individual level, that my body, my life, belongs to Christ. And while that's true, that's only half the picture. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Now, typically we would read that as if it's talking about me, just like 1 Corinthians 6, if it's, as if it's singular, that I am God's temple and God's spirit dwells within me. And while yes, it's true, 1 Corinthians 6 is talking about a plurality, Right? Here, that word you is in the plural. So feel free to write in your Bible, y'all, okay? Y'all are God's temple, and the Spirit dwells in y'all. He's talking to the church, right? And if that you is in fact plural in 1 Corinthians 3, that means that Paul's just not talking about us as individuals. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ that is being built up into God's Temple. So what we'll do here then is we'll give Nate some friends, okay? So we'll just blah, blah, blah. You get the idea, right? It's not just you that is in Christ. It's not just you 
right, that, that walks throughout this world. It is y'all. It is the body of Christ. And if Christ is in us and we are in Christ, then the picture then becomes clear. So we'll put all this back together. The picture then becomes clear. Our role as the body of Christ is to exalt Christ. That's our role here. You, you can actually go sit down. I think you're good. Thank you so much. Give him another round of applause. So if Christ is in us and we are in Christ as the body of Christ, then it makes our job way more clear that our role as the body of Christ is to exalt Christ. It's to glorify Christ. May we never lose sight of why we are here, of why we are the body. It's not to exalt my name. It's not to exalt your name. It's not to build up the brand of Renewal Church. It is to exalt Jesus Christ who came and who died. It's our only purpose, that we, as the body of Christ, exalt Christ, that he builds, up in his, builds us up in his name for his glory, that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. In fact, it would be weird, right? It would be weird if we did not exalt Christ. That would be a strange thing. To have Christ in us and to be in Christ and not exalt Christ, that means that my arm doesn't work. Something's off. Something's off here. We are, that is an unhealthy body. A healthy body exalts Christ in all that they do. And they find their joy in that exaltation. That in their worship, they find the peace that they were looking for because they are doing what they were designed to be as the body of Christ. That we have one purpose here, and it's to exalt Christ. Which leads me to address two different questions, right? If we are the body of Christ, and Christ is in us, and we are in Christ, then how does the body of Christ interact with one another? How are we to interact with one another then if we are indeed the body of Christ? And how does the body of Christ interact with the world? So how does the body interact with one another and how does the body interact with the world? So let's start with the first one first. The simple version is we serve one another as the body of Christ because Christ has served us. If Christ is the head of the church, then, it, then for us as the body, it would make sense to do as the head does. Remember, your body does whatever your head tells it to do. If your arm doesn't move, when your mind tells it to move, that that means something is wrong. It means that you should go to a doctor. If you want to know how to interact with one another, then we must look first at how Jesus has interacted with us. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. How has Jesus interacted with you? And let me tell you, if you read Scripture, it is clear that he has chosen to love you. He has chosen to pursue you. Like, let's be careful not to water this truth down, right? Love is a shallow word in the world. For much of the world, love can go only so deep, and it only moves you so far. But the love of Christ has depth. It's unending, and it results in action. You know, one day, we're going to go through the book of Romans, okay? One day. That day's not today. I don't think we're ready. But one day, we're going to go through the book of Romans, and because the book of Romans is beautiful. I mean, it, it is beautiful. Paul spends multiple chapters, multiple chapters, just laying out the gospel. 
that he walks through our brokenness. Now, we were totally without Christ, but in love, Christ came so that we may know love, and he systematically, chapter by chapter, just breaks down all the pieces of the gospel that uh, we, we all suffered from total depravity. There are none that are innocent without Christ, Romans 1, chapter 1 through 3. But even in our sin, Christ came and died for us, and we are justified by faith in the sight of God. That's chapters 3 through 5. But now, as followers of Christ, we are dead to sin. We're dead to it. And we are alive in Christ. That's chapter 6. Chapter 7, even though we are free from sin, we still fight the battle of the flesh, that the law reveals our sin and the things that we don't want to do, we do. And the very things that we should do, we don't do. And then we get to chapter 8. And at the end of chapter 8, Paul begins to ask a series of questions. I don't know if you ever looked at the way that this was laid out. He begins to ask a series of questions. And in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say to these things? Well, what things? Everything I just laid out. <laughs> The, the gospel. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's his way of saying, haven't you seen by now that God is for you? Haven't you seen by now the love in which he pursued you? What are you afraid of? And his proof for that is to say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? He's like, who's going to bring a charge against you? God's called you. God's chosen you. Who are they in comparison to God? And he says, it is God who justifies. It's God who justifies. It's God who determines who you are. It's God who determines what the steps of your life are. It is God who determines your justification. And he says, who is it that condemns? He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And the argument there is if Christ doesn't condemn, that Christ doesn't condemn you based on his blood spilled. And if Christ doesn't condemn you, then why would you live in fear? Christ rose from the grave and he intercedes right now. So he says, after eight chapters in verse 35, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to separate you? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? No one has that power. And he says in verse 36, For our sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He quotes Psalm 44. And it's a way of saying, yeah, you're, you will suffer. You will suffer. You being a follower of Christ has a cost. Could even be your life. And the idea here is, does your suffering and even potential death separate you from the love of Christ? And he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Jesus our Lord, that he wants them to understand you are loved because God pursued you. That as the body of Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so here's the question. 
do you love God's people like he does? Do you love us? Do you see the people in this room, the people that aren't here? Do you believe that they are the blood-bought people of God and that they are worthy of love? That Jesus loves them. And one of the most freeing things that a believer can do is take their eyes off of themselves and begin to see God's people. God's loved people. And look, I'm not fool. You, you can't just... You can't just choose to love the people in this room, right? Like, I'm a strange dude, okay? I'm weird. I sing random songs throughout the day about the laundry or the dishes. You can ask Katie my wife. Uh, I've got a song about the nap, nap time, nap time, right? Like, I'm a weird dude. It's just not easy to just love me. I'm pretty obnoxious, too, pretty loud. Um, We've all got things, right, that make it uneasy to love us. And you can't do it in your own power. You can't do it. You can't force yourself to love another human being. But in Christ, we are capable of all things. And Christ breaks down those barriers to where it's not so much about what you can give me. It's now about what Christ has done. And Christ has saved you and he has made you my brother, my sister, and now we are united by the blood of Christ. So my aim is to love you because Christ has loved me. And so the first thing that we do as the body of Christ is we love one another. Second, we interact with one another with the humility that Christ has displayed with us. In Philippians 2, Paul tells the church to be of one mind. He says, be of the mind of Christ. He says, hey, don't be of selfish ambition. Don't be of conceit. He says, in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. And then he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, I think it's one of the most missed truths In all of scripture, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, have this kind of mind, and he says, it's yours. I think sometimes we we miss how this is phrased, right? How this is worded. That Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, the mind of Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That you can have this kind of mind because it's yours. In other words, Christ is in you, and you are in him, therefore, you have the mind of Christ. It's not, well, if you try hard, this is how sometimes we think about it, I think, it's how I think about it. Um, It's not, if you try hard enough, if you attempt the right things, if you do the right things, then you can maybe have the mind of Christ. Maybe, just maybe, you can do it. No, you are in Christ, and he is in you. Therefore, you have the mind of Christ. You see that? And so then he goes on in verse 6 to point out what that means to have the mind of Christ. He says, "Who talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That our God, the king of all kings, the one who has all authority, took on the form of a servant. That he died on that cross, that he came from perfect heaven to broken earth, and he put on flesh, and he lived a perfect sinless life. And in humility, he became 
like us, and he died the death that we could not die, that he laid down his life for his sheep. His form was humble. His form was service. And Paul says, you have that mind in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. When you approach the people of God, what kind of form do you bring? What's your form? Do you come in service? Do you come in humility? Do you come looking to the interests of others? Or do you come with me, me, me? And I, I, I want to be careful here because there are times when we need to say me, 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 when we need to call out for help for ourselves. But is your day in and day out posture one of that of humility, of service, or is it of conceit? Is it of selfish ambition? Or do you have some sort of pride? You know, pride can come in a couple different ways. There is pride that we're all familiar with where we look down on others, where we think too highly of ourselves, but there's also pride in the form of shame that you think for some reason that you are no matter what less than others, that your voice doesn't matter, that these people would never love you, that God would never love you. That's also pride. It's also pride. It's not truly seeing who God is and who God has called you to be that you have been adopted as a child, if you have repented and given, surrendered your life to Christ, if he has saved you, then that gives you rights as a son and daughter of God. That you don't show pride in the form of shame and you don't show pride in the form of consent. And if you are his, then you are free. You're free to love us because we don't owe you anything. You don't owe us anything. Your place has been secured in Christ, and therefore you are free to just love. You don't have to find joy, approval, satisfaction anywhere else. You don't have to find it in the people of God. You have it in the blood-bought grace of Christ. You have security. You have salvation in him, and so you are free to love us. That may we as the body of Christ take on the form of humility, a confidence. It says, I know who my God is. I know who he's called me to be. And my place here is to serve in the form of humility. I could go on with examples about how we should be like Christ, right? Um, we'll go to verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, there is this reality that it's hard for us to really believe that we belong to the body of Christ, I think. Um, we don't know our place here. Uh, we don't know where we fit in. Uh, we don't know what our value is. And Paul will spend a lot of time here talking about how God has given us all gifts. He has all given, he's given us all a place to belong in the body of Christ. He says in verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make any, it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged, listen to this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, 
yet one body. That we all in here, and we don't have time to get into everything that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, but that we all have been given gifts here. Gifts from God that are to be used to build up one another. That we are the body of Christ and that we all have a place. That God has arranged us as he chose. That none of you are here by accident. You're not. God has called you to this place on this day for a specific reason to be part of this body. And when the body is healthy, is it a powerful display of the glory of Christ? And when the body is not healthy, it is a tragedy. And an unhealthy body, when in an unhealthy body, you will see confusion, you will see hurt, you will see pain, and you will see grabs for power. That's what you'll see in an unhealthy body. And the best way to practice being part of the body of Christ, I think at least here in this body, is in your home groups. To practice being the body of Christ in your home groups. That each of us have been called to serve the body of Christ. And typically when we talk about, when a church talks about serving the church, it's more in an official capacity, and we will talk about that um, in a little bit. But biblically, the, the idea that you see most in Scripture is just the idea of people serving people. That we serve God, we serve people because God has first served us. It's just me serving and caring for you, loving you and your needs. That it's not just having a job in the church or doing a, a specific task, but it is seeing the needs of the people around you. It is the people of God loving one another and having the form of humility. So this group, when you sit, this week, when you sit in your home group, just take a second to look around. Do you know the needs of the people in that room? Like, do you actually see them? Are you actually curious about their life, their fears, their struggles, their hobbies, their joys? Do you know the names of their kids? That you would know them. You would know their needs. You would know what makes them tick, what makes them stressed, what makes them frustrated. And that you would actually spend time and pray. And so my challenge to you this week is just to look around at your home group and ask the question, what would it look like to really have the form of love and humility with them? What would that look like in their context, in our context, in our lives? What would it look like to actually be humble and love them? And so I encourage you this week just to look around, right? Be intentionally curious about their life. Now, look at verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again to the head, to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more, um, more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that no matter what the gift is, no matter if it's the most public or if it's one of the most, uh, that, that doesn't get seen that often, that we are to uplift everyone a part of the body. That there's no part of the body that is left out. We all have a role to play here. And he says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That no matter the gift, no matter the status, we all have honor here. That every single one of us 
belongs. I mean, picture a people so bound together that when one person suffers, we all feel it. You know what I'm talking about? When, when one person suffers, we understand and we feel that suffering. Imagine a, a, a person so, um, that a pe- group of people so bound together that when one person has victory over sin, they all share in the victory. When there is a wedding, when a baby is born, when there is something to be celebrated, the whole group feels it because they're part of the same body. Does that make sense? When, re- when we rejoice, when you rejoice, it's infectious to the rest of the body. We feel it because we're united in Christ. When you suffer or when you're absent, when you're hurting, we feel it because we're part of the same body. We are all connected because of the blood of Christ. When you rejoice, we rejoice. When you hurt, we hurt. We're all partakers of the highs and the lows, and we must ensure that no part of the body is left out here. It's so important that we use our words and our actions to communicate to every part of the body that you belong. You belong here. You are wanted here, that we just don't interact with the same people every single week, but that we reach out to others, others who may not believe that they belong to be part of the body, that we engage them with love, and that we have eyes to see Who's on the outside of the body? Who doesn't believe that they're part of the body? But that we engage them. So how does the body of Christ interact with one another? We do it the same way that Jesus has interacted with us, with love and humility. Now what does it look like for the body of Christ to engage the world? Um, First, let me just say, the body of Christ is bigger than one individual member. We all have a role to play. That every time we gather, we are reminded that we belong to a greater mission of God. That the glory of God is our cause. The glory of God is our purpose. And that is why we bring, we bring light to the darkness in Bell County. That is why we make gospel our primary language. That we would serve the poor. We would bring food and supplies to the needy. That we are a light to this community. That we stand up for truth in grace. And beyond that, that we would understand that much of the world is without the gospel right now. 40% of the world does not have access to a church or even know a Christian. There is no gospel in their community. And that we would understand there is no plan B for the gospel to go to the nations. There's no plan B. Plan A was the church. That the people of God would bring his gospel to the nations. And so here's my challenge for the home groups this week. Um, And I'll put this in the discussion guide. Two questions for your home groups to discuss. How can you, as a home group, engage our local community as the body of Christ? Okay? This could be partnering with a a local missions organization, a local nonprofit. Um, It could also be something more creative, like just seeing what the needs are in your neighborhoods. Uh, It could be throwing a block party in one of the homes that uh, someone in your home group goes to. Right? Be creative with this. Um, Because let me tell you, there is a disconnect between how we think the world sees us as the church and how the world actually does see us. Um, Last week, I went to, uh, I had to get a new phone. My phone stopped charging. And so I went to the T-Mobile store just over by the loop. And this girl came up and she started helping me. She uh, was pregnant and found out she already had one kid at home. She's a single mom. And so I started asking her about that. 
were there for like an hour and a half. It just took forever. Uh, and so I had, God gave me plenty of time to talk to this girl. And uh, so we're just talking, and she told me that she uh, was a former Mormon, um, that she, her family was Mormons when she grew up, and then they left the Mormon church. And so we talked about that for a long time. And we just ta- started talking about churches in this area. And I told her that I was a pastor here at this church, and I invited her to come. And, and we just kept talking and talking. And eventually, and she kept acting like, uh, you, you could tell there was something she wasn't saying. Um, and finally, um, she just said, look, I just don't like the way uh, that Christians have treated me. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, they call me lost. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. She's like, they call me lost. And I, and I just looked at her and I said, look, it's not, and I said, and I was honest, I said, look, it, it is that you are lost. You are without Christ. But the bigger picture is, that you have been called to something much greater, that you belong to him. And I said, where are you expressing that, that you belong to him? And she just could not, there was trauma there. Some Christian at some point said something to her, and now she cannot get past the reality that, they, that we think, of, think less of her, that the focus is on her. And I said, the focus isn't even on you. It's not even about you. I said, it's about him and he has love for you. If he has died for you, then that is truth that he loves you, and she could not get past it, y'all. There's a disconnect between what, she, what we say, how we think of them, that they are to be loved, like Christ has loved them, and there's a disconnect between what they think we think of them, if that makes sense. We have to be in the community, around people. There's a lot of misunderstandings about what she said, Right? but we have to be with them. We have to serve them. Be creative about it with your home group. It's much easier to take 10 people in your home group and go and serve the committee than it is to try to organize all 100 of us, right? Start with your home groups. That You identify needs and that you use gospel language, right? It makes no sense to, to do something in the community for a year and they have no idea that you're Christians. There are good people all over the place doing good things, but we are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And so be the body of Christ in the local community, right? Um, And then how will you be the body of Christ to the nations? Choose a country to pray for every single week. You know, did you know we have five missionaries here at Renewal Church? This tiny little, there ain't that many, they're a tiny little group. We have five. We have uh, Emma Spradley, who serves as a campus missionary with crew. We've got Matt Wells and Julian Anderson, who serve with YWAM. Right now, and then we've got uh, two local global mission, mission mobilizers. We've got Katie, my wife, and Kevin Brown, who serve with GoCorps, which is a missions organization that sends uh, 20-somethings overseas for two years. Pick one of them and just adopt them. That every week you would pray for them in your group. You can even pull your money together uh, to give them a gift financially, to love them, say, hey, we believe in the calling of God for you, that you be the body of Christ both to our community and to the nations. That we've all been called to be, be a part of this. There's no one that should be left out. We're all part of the body of Christ. Now, really quickly, uh, let me talk to you about Acts 6 and why I read that at the beginning. Uh, typically when we talk about serving the church, being the body of Christ, we talk about the official roles, right? I do sound, I, I, do, uh, I play in the band, I serve in kids ministry. That's traditionally, right, how we talk about serving. But really, uh, there's two words, um, 
Matt, help me out here. Dikonos, dikonos, I can't remember how to say it. Uh, but the word for servant, right? And there's two variations of them. One is just the servant of the church. They serve the church. Just they love people. They, they, they do, they, they see needs for people. But then there's one, the official role of serving, where you have been tasked, an official task of serving. And that's what we talk about most times. So in Acts 6, I won't read it all again, there's a group of Hellenists, right? They, they basically feel left out. They're, they are being left behind because there's not enough servants in the church to take care of their needs. And so they come to the elders and say, hey, we're being neglected. We're being neglected. And the elders, the church is growing fast. They just don't have the time to take care of this group of people the way in which they need to be taken care of. And so they come up with a solution. They say, hey, why don't we task servants in the church to take care of the needs of the people that we can't so that we don't have to neglect the preaching of the word and prayer, the, the loving and caring for the people of God. And so they appoint seven men to care for the people of God in areas of service. This is what we have come to know now as deacon roles. Now, at Renewal Church right now, we do not have an official office of the deacons. We don't. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. We haven't gotten to that point yet. But right now, we just do not have an office of the deacons. But we do have several members who have been tasked by the leadership of the church to serve in specific areas, right? Things like hospitality, kids, serving on the band, um, all of our sound folks and computer folks back here, back there on the camera, Ralph and Keith do a great job. We've got so many people. Trailer team, right? So many people who have been tasked with an official role. Uh, Keith, every week, is out there at front greeting everybody, right? Keith knows more people than I do, okay? And, and he's been tasked with an official role in serving the church. It's that spirit of service. And without these people, we would not be able to gather. Well, your home group leaders, they are tasked with facilitating discussion and gathering people every week in their homes, Right? That each one of us, we, we're a part of this body when, when healthy is an expression of the glory of Christ. And because you serve in the way that you do, it gives myself and our other elders time to pray and to care for each of you in the ways that God has called us to. That every single one of us is important and has a role here. And I would encourage you, and find one of these servant leaders, home group leaders, hospitality, kids, youth, whatever it is, band, and just say thank you. I mean, they are sacrificing their time and their energy. Many of them are, are putting their, uh, I mean, it's scary to get on stage or even to talk to a bunch of people. There's, there's so many introverts on our hospitality team, y'all. It probably takes a lot of effort <laughs> for them to welcome you guys. Tell them thank you. They're, serve, they're not serving you. They're serving their God. They're serving their God who has called them to be a part of this body. And so just, I encourage you after the service, say, find one of them, kids leader, youth, hostility, band, and just say, thank you. Someone who runs our tech, thank you for serving your God in the way that you do. Build up the body of Christ. And I would encourage you this week, ask the question, if it is true that we are the body of Christ, if this metaphor is true, if Christ is the head of the church, and we are his body, then how should we look when we move throughout the world? I can tell you it's not alone and by yourself. You're called to belong to the people of God. And that's what we'll talk about next week.
It's not just about serving. It's not just about doing things for one another. It's about that God has called you to belong to him and that you belong to one another. But let's start this week. Just pick someone to serve and say, God, I'm doing this because you've called me to do it. Pray and ask that God would open your eyes to see the needs of the people of God around you and that you would serve for his glory. 